But today, um, we're going to talk about um, God's power at work. And I think it's kind of interesting because we're going to see some paradoxical things here with God's power. A lot of times we think, hey, if God is in it, if God's behind it, everything that happens will be pleasant. And, like, when I first, I remember when I first got out of college, my primary goal was to find a full-time job so that I could have the money to buy a house, to get married, to settle down, and to raise a family. That was my primary goals coming out of college. And I remember really struggling to uh, sending out resume after resume, not getting that full-time job, still haven't gotten that full-time job. But then my dad had been praying for me, and he said, you know, you really have a story to share, you have a message that God wants you to share. So I think he's calling you to ministry. And I, I had felt certain uh, variations of this call through the years, so I knew my dad was on the right track, but I kind of resisted at first. Because as I said, those main goals were staring at me. So then I finally surrendered through the wisdom of my father and a couple other friends at the time who were telling me, quit talking about eventually going into ministry and just surrender and let God do the work. And so then the immediate thought is, well, if I surrender to God in ministry, then I'm going to be speaking 48 Sundays a year. I'm going to have so many people wanting me to speak that I'm going to have to say no. And I'm going to, you know, just be busy all the time with ministry work. And that hasn't been the way that God has chosen to work. So I think it's encouraging for us to know that just because things don't work out the way that we think they will does not mean that God is wrong or that we're not doing God's will. As a matter of fact, what does Paul say to Timothy in one of his epistles to the young preacher? He says this, All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So that is a promise from God, not really the kind of promise that we see cross-stitched on a pillow, but it is still, nonetheless, a promise from God. But it comes with a promise of reward, because Jesus said, Happy are you if you men revile you and persecute you for my name's sake. Great is your reward in heaven. So there are rewards to this. So that this is the kind of thing that we're going to see. So let's start reading in verse 14 of Acts chapter 5. And we will read through 18 for our first point, which is God's power leads to prison. That's the first point that I have in this, in this uh, passage or in this, in this message, God's power at work is that God's power leads to prison. So, Acts chapter 5, and as I said, we're backtracking to 14, and it says, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, 
that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Then also came a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and then and they were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, were filled with indignation, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now I want to notice a couple things. First of all, believers are being added to their number. Uh, multitudes, it says. It doesn't tell us how many, but it says multitudes of both men and women. Making it clear what Paul will later state, which is that in Christ there is no male or female. That does not mean that we don't have distinct roles to play. It does not mean that he repented of his creativity in making you a man or a woman. But it means as far as being a partaker of the grace of God, there is no favoritism for men over women. In the culture in which Jesus came into, women were not highly valued. Often their testimony in court was not accepted. But Jesus gave women value. And then we see this verse. It says, Insomuch uh, that they brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Um, there also came a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one of them. Now, on the surface, this is a confusing thing because you think, well, what does the shadow of Peter have to do with anything? But as I was researching this, I was brought back to the scripture where Jesus is walking um, down the road and a woman who is vexed with an issue of blood for 18 years reaches out and touches Jesus' garment and is made whole. And all these people are pressing into Jesus. Um, he's on his way, I think, even if I remember correctly, to heal someone else. But all these people are pressing in on him, and he says, who touched me? And Peter says, well, why would you say who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus knew that something significant had happened. But when he turns to the woman... And she acknowledges that she touched him. He doesn't say, because you touched me, you are whole. He says, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. So, and because we'll read later on in Acts that God caused aprons and handkerchiefs that were used by the Apostle Paul to be somewhat instruments of healing as well. But it's not those things themselves that cause the healing. It's still through the power of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that these people could be healed. And then the high priest rose up and all them that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Now, 
I don't know about you, but if I saw a bunch of people legitimately being legitimately being healed, indignation isn't what would come to mind. When God does great works of healing, rejoicing in the Lord is what comes to my mind. But you see, um, there's an insight after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, they decide they want to kill Lazarus. And it's not because they think he's a false teacher, because later they'll say, they, they don't say anything against his teaching. But this is what they say. He has swayed the people away from us. We no longer have power over these people because Jesus speaks with such authority. And that's why they wanted to kill Lazarus. Imagine being raised from the dead after being sick and dying and being raised from the dead and then hearing people want to kill you. How, how ridiculous is that? And yet, that was their thought process. And then it says, And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, I wonder if it was going through their minds as it would through mine. Hey, Lord, we've seen your power at work. People are being saved by the multitudes. You're doing great things here. And then you're healing people. It's such a great day to be alive. And then the leaders lay their hands on them and send them to prison. Probably not, I would venture to guess, the result that they were thinking of. As a matter of fact, in some regard, they probably were thinking, as we would put it in our vernacular, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Because Peter and John had just been imprisoned in Acts chapter 4. So this was a recurring issue for them. But they were filled with indignation. Why? Because their ego was more important to them than surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Their ego was more important to them. Their agenda was more important to them than what God is doing. And my dad and I have had a lot of discussions recently because there have been some high-profile people who have been known as leaders in the church who have supposedly fallen away from their faith. The Bible says in the book of John that... Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a true follower of Jesus, that um, Jesus gives you eternal life and you'll never perish. Neither shall ever man, any man pluck you out of my hand. So what's the answer that we draw? The answer that I draw, for sure, is that these people who are falling away have their security in the wrong place. 
I spoke a couple of weeks ago in Lansing, and I talked about the different places people have security. Saul, King Saul, he had his security in doing God's way, God's will through his own methods. God doesn't want us to do his will through our methods. The rich man who had many barns, his security was in his crops. When he had so many crops he couldn't fit into his barn, he didn't say, I'm going to give away my crops. So I ruined my barns. He said, I'm going to build bigger barns and then I'm going to retire. And the Pharisees, their security was in the law. They said, we're not going to follow you, Jesus, because we follow Moses. And Jesus said right back to them, Moses testified of me. If you are Moses' disciples, then would you hear my voice? So it's not about whether eternal security is real. It is real. Jesus promised it. It's about where your security is. And these people had their security in their own ego. So let's look, by way of cross-reference, at John 14, verse 12. John 14, 12. If one of you gentlemen gets there, if you could read it for us, that would be great. Again, John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall do he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So he told his disciples that he, they would do greater works than they had seen him do. So these miracles and acts were not a surprise to Jesus. He basically said, you're going to do these things for my glory. So that is basically what Peter and John and the others are living out, is that these mighty works are coming forth to testify that Jesus was who he said he was, and that not only was he who he said he was, but that he is. Remember it says in Hebrews, him that cometh to God must believe that he is. I'll never forget when I was working at God and Light Mission, and a guy who was in the program asked me one day, he said, why does it say, just believe that he is? Is what? And I thought about it for a few minutes, and I asked the Lord, well, how am I supposed to answer this question? And it came to me that the reason it says, believe that he is, is because everything good, everything you can think of good, God is. So believing that God is, means that you believe that he is everything good. There's nothing good that God isn't. And there's nothing good apart from God. Remember what Jesus said when the rich young ruler said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, No one is good but God alone. Very wise words for us to remember. One Sunday afternoon, my wife and I were talking, taking a short walk, and we were overtaken by a storm. We took shelter in a neighboring church where we found a special service for Sunday schoolers in progress. 
The vicar was catechizing the children and said, What is a miracle? A little girl put up her hand and said, Something we can't do, but Jesus can. The minister seemed surprised at this original answer and pressed for a response in the more dignified English. Several chimed out the set answer he wanted, a parable in action, and he seemed well satisfied. He left me cold, however, for I was still thinking of that little child's definition. Something we can't do, but Jesus can. And that is a miracle. That is the power of God. So we come to the second section of this passage. And another statement about God's power. God's power, first it led to prison. And now it's going to lead to prison break. And verse 19 says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But the officials came and found them not in the prison. And they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found me shut, all safe, all safety, and the keeper standing without before the door. But when we opened it, we found no one within. Couple things I want you to notice here as well. First of all, the angel of the Lord came by night, opened the doors. There are no doors that are shut that God can't open if he so desires to do so. I need that reminder in my own life. And then he says this, Go stand and speak in the temple to all the people all the words of life. Do you ever really think about that? That we have the words of life. The world is crying out for help. The world is crying out for life. They don't even know who they are anymore. The Bible says that God made them male and female and, and today we think that God made mistakes because we think that we can decide hey I was born one way but God made a mistake. My friends I spent a lot of time in my teen years feeling that God made a mistake with the way he made me but I was not able to be used by God and to feel him working in my life until I realized that he did not make any mistakes. He did exactly what he chose to do in my life to accomplish the things that he has for me to do. And once again, when they could have ran back to their upper room or ran back to one of their houses and hid for a while to get refreshment, which as a human we wouldn't blame them for, when the angel of the Lord said, 
go and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. They did so. When they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. I can only guess what was ringing through their minds, but one of the things was probably when Jesus said, The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We have 30 plus, possibly 40 candidates right now for the presidency on the Democratic side for 2020. And they're all tripping over themselves trying to tell the United States who is the biggest baby killer. It grieves my heart to its very core. Because that's not life. God told the people of Israel, today I set before you two things, life and death. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. We need people that understand life and life more abundant to share it with others. And so, I can only imagine they go into the prison, they have them brought, and they find the guards there, and they're probably like, well, it's good, you stayed there, you kept your post, the prison's still locked. And they open up the doors, and they find no one there. And not only do they find no one there, but they find that they're preaching in the temple, which is exactly what got them in trouble in the first place. To the world, this is insanity. A popular version of the, a popular definition of the word insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. They they did not expect a different result. They knew what was going to happen. They knew the risks, but they still did it because they knew the words of life. And then, it's just amazing here. The prison truly they found shut with all safety. There is no latch left undone. Sometimes my brother will get up an hour or so after he went to bed because he forgot to put the chickens in or whatever. And, or maybe a, maybe a cow will get out because there's a fence open or whatever the case may be but in this case everything was shut up with all safety nothing was left open the one thing you know about Dr. Luke when he's writing these accounts he writes with detail he wants you to know what a miracle is and it was a miracle that these men were released from prison and were able to preach 
the word of God. If we can look at John 6, 68. John 6, 68. What did he ask him to what did he ask him to tell them in the temple? He said, Go and preach all the words of life. How could they preach all the words of life? Because they were with the one who had the words of eternal life. You know, we, we just talked about Fanny Crosby in our opening. And we talked about how fast she could write some of her hymns because the word of God, she was saturated in it. You know, and I, I was thinking about that hymn. I'm pretty sure that this is true, that part of the inspiration for that hymn was that the only child that her and her husband were able to have died in infancy. But she knew even as she was grieving that, that her baby was safe in the arms of Jesus. And I remember, I'm quite positive that that was one of the songs that gave me comfort when my brother died. And it gives me comfort whenever a loved one dies in the Lord. There's such a difference between dying in the Lord and dying without the Lord. God says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no in between. Remember the, the rich man wanted to get to paradise after he had gone to eternity and it was made clear to him that there's a great gulf fixed. We can't go between. I have to make the decision beforehand. So the third section, first we've had God's power leads to prison. Second, we have God's power leads to prison break. Third and finally, we have God's power leads to confidence. I'm reminded of the of the story where Elijah, I believe it was Elijah, and his servant are surrounded. And he said, what are we going to do? We're surrounded by the enemy. And Elijah, Elisha, prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes. And the man's eyes were opened and he saw the armies of the living God. Angels surrounding His confidence was renewed. And I've heard many missionary stories 
about how God revealed himself in through angels in human form to actually fight back enemies when people were on the mission field. At the very time when someone was praying for them here in the States. Because angels are real. The Bible tells us to be for, be not forgetful to entertain strangers for we never know if we may be entertaining angels thereby. Angels are at work in our world today. I can think of at least two or three times when I made my guardian angel work overtime, and I'll tell you those stories at a later time if you want to hear them, but God is good. All the time. And so, as we read these last few verses here of this section, we'll be reading Acts 5, 24-29, and we'll see the confidence that it leads to. Acts 5, 24 now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the, <coughs> with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they have brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood down upon us. Then Peter and the, and the other apostles answered, We ought to obey God rather than men. Peter's like, just in case you didn't hear us the first time, we have to obey God rather than them. It's something that we all need to be aware of. Our world, our American culture is drawing farther and farther from the things of God. Um, the world likes to use scripture to justify their positions, but so does the devil. People say they believe in God. They won't acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior. and We need to remind them that the demons believe in God. And they tremble for what he's going to do to them. not enough to believe in God. I, be, I really believe there are very few people, if any, that have no belief in God. There's a kid that we I grew up going to Sunday school with. Actually, he was a few years younger than me, but I knew him as a kid. And he calls himself an agnostic atheist. Because even he knows that he's not smart enough to know definitively that there's no God. 
So, but it's not enough to know that there is a God. God, who in various ways and at sundry times has made himself known to us, has in these last days made himself known to us through his Son. He who believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's as simple as it gets. If we could look by way of cross reference, just back at that Acts 4 passage that I referenced earlier. Acts 4, 10, and 11. Acts 4, 10, and 11. Yeah, you can read 12 as well. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. So remember back in Acts chapter 4, they had just in Acts chapter 3 healed the lame man. Peter's testifying to the gospel. He has a great deal of confidence, both because he was filled, I believe, specifically by the Holy Spirit for this sermon, but also because he had seen God heal the lame man through him. He didn't take any of the credit. He said, if you must know by what power this man who was lame stands before you all, know that it was by the name of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. And it's made clear in the passage that he was lame from birth and that he was about, that he was over 40 years old. So for 40 years, they known this man, so they couldn't say that he was a plant. He didn't travel with the disciples to pretend that they healed him so that they can get credit. And as I said, they didn't even take credit. They gave it to Jesus, where it belonged. So just a reminder that when the power of God is going forth, it gives us confidence. The things that God has, has done... Give us confidence for the things that he will do. I found this story about Abraham Lincoln. He struggled with confidence. It says this, about halfway through a PBS program on the Library of Congress, Dr. Daniel Morriston, the librarian of Congress, brought out a, blue, brought out a little blue box from a small closet that once held the library's rarities. The label on the box read... Contents of the President's Pockets on the night of April 14, 1865. Since that was the fateful night that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, every viewer's attention was seized. Borstein then proceeded to remove the items in the container and display them on camera. There were five things in the box. A handkerchief embroidered A. Lincoln, a country boy's pocket knife, a country boy's pen knife, a spectacles case, repaired with string, a purse containing a $5 bill of Confederate money, and some old, worn newspaper clippings. 
The clippings, said Borstein, were concerned with the great deeds of Abraham Lincoln. And one of them actually reports a speech by John Bright, which says that Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest men of all time. All times. Today that's common knowledge. The world know, now knows that British, that, that British statement, John Bright, was right in his assessment of Lincoln. But in 1865, millions shared quite the contrary opinion. The president's critics were fierce and many. His was a, lo a lonely agony that reflected the suffering and turmoil of his country ripped to shreds by hatred and a cruel costly war. There is something touchingly pathetic about the mental picture of this great leader seeking solace and self-assurance from a few old newspaper clippings as he reads them under the flickering flame of a candle all alone in the Oval Office. Remember this, loneliness stalks where the buck stops. And that was by Chuck Swindoll in the quest for character. I'm reminded of Jesus our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, whose agony was so great that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And he prayed that God would take the cup from him, that he wouldn't have to suffer, but he said, if it must be, then not my will, but thine be done. And you remember as he was hanging there, one of the things that happened is that God turned his back on Jesus. And Jesus said with great feeling and emotion, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did that so that he could say to us, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Such power. My prayer for you is that you would know the power of God, that you would know the Lord. Maybe you've read this Bible for years, but you've never gotten to know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. Call upon Him, and His promises will be made clear to you. Yes, if you live God in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. But you can also, with the rest of us as believers, be of good cheer, because Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And now we ask that you would bless this meal that we're about to partake of. And that you would go with us as we go our separate ways. Keep us safe, especially with the rain and the storms coming through. And help us to always be looking to you in everything we do. Lord, I pray that you would bless and keep everyone here, that you would make your face shine upon them, that you would give them peace. Because you've said, peace I give to you, um, not as the world gives, give I unto you. And we claim that promise in Jesus' name. Amen.